In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It may not be going too far to say that Christmas has always been an extremely difficult time to preach the gospel. And that is because it's the most wonderful time of the year with kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. That was unrehearsed. (laughs) Let's try that at 5 and 11. (laughs) A lot of family and old friends are together again. Uh, Generosity. Is it an annual high? The hearts of even the hearts of the Scrooges are are opened. Uh, Ministries and soup kitchens are flourishing. And our mailboxes are packed. Christmas cards are... Uh, greetings of uh, seasons, greetings and exhortations of peace on earth. And we're just totally convinced that this is what Christmas is all about. So it's simply difficult uh, to preach uh, the gospel because who wants to hear about that nasty word sin when all this is around us? The gospel uh, is about forgiveness of sins, which the Bible teaches us is the very heart of the Christian message. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor and resistance fighter in Hitler's Germany. And he said in a letter from prison that we have preserved, if I should be kept in this hole over Christmas, don't worry about it. And he went on to say that he could keep the real meaning of Christmas better in prison than he could at home. What a profound thing to say. It is not the human spirit that is right to celebrate on this holy night, but the birth of the incarnate Son of God who lived, who died an ugly death, and rose again that he might deliver us. One of the traditional readings for the last Sunday before Christmas, we are told that an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, do not fear. Mary will have a child, and you are to name this child Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. Let me tell you a true story that happened not too long ago by a mother. As Christmas approached, each Sunday school teacher was asked to create a Christmas banner. And the best of the Christmas banners were to be selected for the annual Christmas pageant. And on the Sunday that the selections were made, the mother's daughter, her name was Vivian, uh, she came home in tears. She came home in tears because the other children had laughed at her because her banner had missed the mark. Her banner said, Mary had a little lamb. Now, well, a little Vivian knew the profundity of her understanding of her creation, I do not know. But when she said those words about Christmas, that Mary had a little lamb, it was perfect praise and wisdom because this little child in a manger who was born for us would indeed become the lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. It is helpful 
theologically speaking, it's helpful for us to remember that all through the years of animal sacrifice in ancient Judaism, God had driven home the lesson that, the, that in the divine purposes there could be a transference from sin and guilt from the head of the guilty to the head of the innocent. And whenever a sinner brought an animal in up to the altar and put his hand on the beast's head, the lesson was plain. This animal stands in my place. This animal bears my guilt. And yet the substitution was incomplete because the will or the conscious choice of the uncomprehending animal was not present. And so God was getting his people ready to, to understand what would later happen on Good Friday. Jesus would do what all the other animal sacrifices could never do. In willing obedience, he laid down his life a sacrificial death for everyone. Now suppose all this is true. That God taking on human flesh, entering time and history for the purpose of dying a sacrificial death to take our sins once and for all. Suppose it is all true. And by this I don't mean to suggest that it is true only for those who believe it to be true. But what if, is, what if it is objectively true? Then what difference would that make in your life? Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's been called the Prince of Preacher, Prince of Preachers. He was born in London, 1834. It is estimated that he preached in person to over 10 million people, and often, or on occasion, up to 10,000 people at one time. Now, this was in the days before preachers had the benefit of a sound system. In the late 1850s. A day before preaching before a large throng of people at Crystal Palace, which is a 990,000 square foot cast iron plate glass building erected in Hyde Park, London, Spurgeon went into the platform to test the acoustics. Now, I would have gone in and yelled out as long as I, as I could, testing one, two, three, four. But Spurgeon said in his famously strong voice, he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Well, somewhere in the palace space, there was a, a workman who heard Spurgeon's voice. And the workman would later tell how those words grabbed him and brought him to his knees. He had been smitten with guilt on account of all his sins. And God had apparently been working uh, on this man because those words grasped his soul and not too longer and not too much longer he later told how he had found peace by understanding uh, the the reason behind Jesus called the call the, the lamb of god uh, and he found this beautiful peace and he told Spurgeon about it on his deathbed someone told me recently he said you know if Frank, that's all good, but I just don't get caught up in all the theological dogma. Well, in, indeed, as the days of our lives slip by, it is possible that we might not get caught all up in the theology behind this most wonderful time of the year. And with eggnog in hand, 
a person who wants his or her Christmas to be a, just a joyful time for proclaiming peace and goodwill. Not peace because of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the, the, the peace that Charles, that Charles Wesley talks about in that great hymn, God and Sinners Reconciled. Not that. Just peace and goodwill, a kind of a mantra for postmodern America. So it's possible, yes, it's possible, at least for a little while, to ignore the real meaning of Christmas. That is, as long as the internal and external events of my life proceed according to my plans, as long as I can keep at bay uh, all the feelings of guilt from years of things done and things left undone, as long as I can gloss over the darkness to which the prophet Isaiah uh, referred, as long as I can fend off their awareness that one day I too may die for that long, I can get by in this world without concerning myself about the truest meaning of Christmas. But as soon as anything breaks through my delusional reality, as soon as guilt robs me of my peace, as soon as death threatens me, then absolutely nothing will be more important to me, and I'm sure to you, than the profound and the beautiful theology behind this most wonderful time of the year. Few people have summed it up better than Martin Luther. In the concluding words of a sermon he preached in 1535, he said, Look at the holy child, a babe playing in the lap of his most gracious mother. Who is there whom this sight would not comfort? Now is overcome the power of sin, death, hell, conscience, and guilt. If you come to this gurgling babe and believe that he has come, not to judge, but to save. And there, at the very heart of the church's faith, we will rediscover the true inspiration for Christmas and its lights and its trees and jingle bells. And there we will understand why we should indeed sing gleefully and feast in our homes and work in soup kitchens. There we will understand the source of all love and open hearts. And then, even living in a broken and confused world, facing the possibility of diseases and loss of loved ones and terrorist attacks and Lord knows what else, we can, thanks to the hope, the real hope, the real meaning of Christmas, sleep and heavenly peace. May God draw reluctant hearts and now give doubting souls courage to believe this. For Jesus' sake. Amen.